Cause we got the alternative energy Molecular free autonomy And welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne And heard nationally on the Community Radio Network Hello and welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced on the land of the Wurundjeri people at 3CR Community Radio This week's show is brought to you by Crunch or Emma This is the first show of two exploring the ins and outs of the Pine Gap facility on its 50th anniversary year. What is Pine Gap? I imagine many listeners will have some knowledge of it as a US military base somewhere in the centre of Australia near Alice Springs. I've lived in Alice Springs, which is on Aranda people's country, and only had sketchy ideas to no ideas of what goes on at Pine Gap. As visitors to Alice will know, it's out of sight and out of mind. In these two shows, I set out to investigate the activities of Pine Gap and how these have changed over the 50 years since the treaty between the US and Australian governments was first signed. I also track the protests that have accompanied the facility along the way, from the women's peace camps in the 1980s to direct actions by Christian peace activists in the 2000s. When I began searching for people to talk to, I was regularly referred to Richard Tanter, an academic and activist who has been studying the activities of Pine Gap and Australia's defence more broadly for many years. Our conversation will feature in this show. Okay, well, good morning, Richard. Good to be with you, Emma. Thanks very much for joining us here this morning. Um, and how? what is your current work or how would you introduce yourself in terms of your projects? Well, I mainly seem to be back in the 1980s, actually, talking about American bases in Australia, uh, nuclear weapons and nuclear power. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've done all of those in different ways in Japan, where I lived for a long time, and uh, just finished a big project on Japanese intelligence, electronic intelligence, with mm. Des Ball. Um, and uh, I've worked uh, in and out of academia and as an activist. Mm-hmm. Great. And this is a big start question, but I was wondering if you could give our listeners a overview of where coming this year is the 50th anniversary since the signing of the Pine Gap Treaty, an overview of its role in those years and if there's been any particular marked changes, the dates of those. Well, there have been a lot of changes. Mm. Uh, 1966 was uh, when the treaty was signed, or the agreement, I should say. There's a public agreement, and then there are two secret agreements. The second one's basically implementations. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been enormous changes uh, since that time. And one of the things I've done did in the last few years is work with Malcolm Fraser, who, of course, is Minister for Defence and as Prime Minister, was very privy to what Pine Gap was doing. And I think Malcolm was genuinely shocked when we laid out what had happened uh, in Pine Gap and what, how it had changed. It was established as a central intelligence agency uh, operation, uh, started operation in 1970. For the first 10 years or so of its life, it was very much focused on one thing, which was uh, radio signals coming from Soviet missile testing, mm-hmm. uh, sending information back to their base saying, I'm going this speed, I'm, I'm using fuel at this rate and so on. Mm. And from that information, uh, CIA analysts could work out, well, what were the actual capacities of those missiles? And that mm. was very important, particularly in those very dangerous days of the Cold War. It was also important for arms control treaties. Mm. You could work out the other side was not cheating in that way. 
That has changed completely. It still does that, but it does much, much more. And it's not involved at the level of, uh, in the old days, that was intelligence that went to the top of the CIA, the White House, and that was it, strategic mm-hmm. intelligence. These days, it does that, but it's very closely involved in warfare uh, in uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria. Mm-hmm. It's involved in providing um, assistance to United States and Japan for missile defence. Uh, it's critical for that, actually. Um, and uh, as I think many people know, a lot of that... Uh, a lot of the intelligence gathered by Pine Gap now contributes to United States drone targeting. It doesn't mm. do the targeting itself, but the information is extremely important for that. Mm. So that's changed. It really uh, involves more military than people like the CIA. It involves Australia very deeply in that. We see everything there. Um, and uh, it's involved in actual operations very, mm. very, very closely. And so that's, I mean, a very simplistic way of looking at it as originally it was touted as very much a defensive base and whereas now it seems like it's over the years changed into much more offensive operations. It can be used for both, but it's Mm. certainly involved in in that. Yes, you're Mm. quite right. So do you see that it has um, in the past and now that it has had some legitimate role in uh, defence or peace, if you can call it that, or... um, yeah, whereabouts do you do you personally see? I see it as um, now something that Australia needs to think very, very carefully about, and Australian people need to think very carefully about the classic defence mounted by the Hawke government, mm-hmm. that it was involved, uh, it was essential for arms control uh, mm. agreements. That was right, but whether that was balanced by the other things it was doing at the time, including contributing to nuclear targeting, now... There are no new arms control agreements. That's an entirely that, – that truck has come to a stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now you're looking at, at something essential to the American war machine around mm. the world, and there are many reasons to object to that. Mm. And how has the opportunity to object um, been presented to the Australian public or through the mechanisms of accountability within our political system? Has um, – have there been different points when that has been more or less possible? Well, I think the, the, in the 1980s, particularly in the latter half of the 1980s, starting with the women's camp in 86, a big uh, camp, bigger one uh, in 88, those were two very important events, and I think mm-hmm. they did squeeze the government quite hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was important, and I think that's what led, um, or at least it facilitated... Um, pushing the government to say something publicly about it. Before, it was just nonsense that they were saying. Of course, what Hawke said in his famous ministerial statement was only part of the truth, but it was more. But, for example, as late as 1999, um, a uh, parliamentary joint committee uh, on treaties, uh, the members of the committee, um, who were led by a Liberal, Andrew Thompson, Mm. wanted to visit the base to see for themselves. Mm -hmm. Not an entirely unreasonable thing. And they were refused permission, and mm. they were really very angry about that, and particularly when they found out that American Congress people um, go through go there. Mm. Um, for, even recently, about I think it was two thousand and thirteen, fourteen, um, the, uh, the the Tea Party Congresswoman uh, Michelle Bachman went there. Mm. Um, so right, so that's a, mm, and in terms of it being touted as a joint facility, 
that seems like inter- at government access, it's very uneven. Then it is very uneven. I think it's now. I think it is actually now true uh, that compared with the the situation before the Hawke Beasley period, it's much more of a joint facility. Um, mm-hmm. I think the Australians now have access to all areas except the American coding rooms, which and they don't have access to ours. Australia is much more deeply involved than, mm. than it was before. On the other hand, let's be very, very clear. Um, if a base is uh, uh, built by the United States, uh, paid for by the United States, mm. and can only operate as part of a global American system, then it's an American base to which mm. we get access, sometimes more, sometimes less. The vast majority of the tasking of the satellites that uh, Pine Gap controls is of American concern, not Australian mm-hmm. concern. It might be nice for some of the intelligence people in Canberra to know a bit more, but they don't need to. Mm-hmm. So this is something we, we're really uh, a bit of a pimple on the end of the American bum. Mm. <laughs> nice way of putting it. You're listening to a conversation with Richard Tanter, an academic from the Nautilus Institute, about what exactly goes on at the Pine Gap Joint Defence Facility located 20 kilometres from Alice Springs in Central Australia. Let's get back to the conversation where I ask Richard about the revelations from Edward Snowden and what it reveals about the operations at Pine Gap. Well, Snowden has been extraordinarily important. Um, And I think one of the things to understand about Pine Gap following Snowden um, is it's, and this sounds like a a cliche, it's part of a system. It's it's one of a number of uh, facilities that do this kind of thing, an extraordinarily important one. Mm. One thing Snowden told us about um, really um, uh, suddenly made sense of something that my research colleague Des Ball, the kind of the giant of this field, and I and a Canadian researcher Bill Robinson have been doing. A new antenna had appeared of a very different sort, completely different sort. Most of the ones that people famously people know about inside the famous domes are parabolic dishes like you might have on your roof here for cable television. This was a completely different one, and it took us a long time to work out what it was. And there was one word in a, um, a Snowden-released um, slide from the National Security Agency about Taurus. Taurus mm-hmm. uh, describes is the name for this particular type of antenna. And then we realised that Pine Gap had, in fact, several years earlier, um, moved from having two distinct missions to having three distinct missions. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one being the space-based signals intelligence we started talking about. Uh, the great huge antennas on the satellites in space collecting what's beamed up from the Earth. The second was after Narunga in South Australia was closed. Um, part of uh, Pine Gap uh, is as a simply a relay station, works entirely automatically uh, for American uh, early warning satellites, thermal imaging satellites. Snowden gave us the clue to this big jump in a third area, which is simply the satellite antennas concerned are simply on the ground listening to what's beamed down from mm-hmm. communication satellite. When you talk to your friend in, uh, in Africa or wherever, it goes up, you, your signal goes up and down uh, to a communication satellite. This is what Pine Gap now does, and that's very important listening not only to cell phone conversations, listening to the internet. 
because mm-hmm. a lot of internet does go through um, communication satellite. That's then processed. And the other part of what Snowden uh, has made clear is the level of processing of analysis that happens at Pine Gap. Mm-hmm. But the way in which that's now shared out between uh, United Kingdom operations at Menwith Hill, New Zealand operations at Waihopai, and uh, American operations both in Ford Mead in, uh, uh, near Washington um, in Buckland, Colorado. Mm. So this is, it is really very much part of a network uh, there. And that definitely includes um, spying on civilians. Mm. Uh, there's a rule uh, that, uh, all we know as they say it, is that the Five Eyes partners, which are United States, Britain, uh, and then Canada, Australia, New Zealand, the old Anglophone I think, uh, grouping, that they don't spy on their own citizens. But we do know that on occasion they will arrange for Five Eyes, the other Five Eyes partners, to <laughs> spy on that. We don't. That's not solid in, Australia, in the Australian case, but it has happened. Mm. And in terms of the information that they're gathering, another thing I think I've heard is that um, is their gathering of information for corporates in terms of. Well, they certainly there's certainly many occasions when um, well we know not we don't know in the case of Pine Gap, but mm-hmm. we're fairly certain that it does happen um, that uh, the United States has used it for its trading advantage, certainly with Japan. One of the, one of the difficulties is the the evidence is about the system as a whole, and you can't mm. always tie it back to Pine Gap. Certainly, we know that, for example, Australia offered to spy on the Indonesian government's lawyers, um, who were American lawyers, in the case of a trade dispute between Indonesia and the United States, mm. whether that was done from Pine Gap or Shoal Bay uh, mm. or Kodjarina uh, near Geraldton, Western Australia, we can't be sure. Mm. But that's a norm in that system. And the fact that uh, Australia was, um, as, this is another Snowden release, actually offered to do it for the United States indicates we're pretty much up there. Yeah. show and an interview with Richard Tanter about the Pine Gap Defence Facility on the 50th year since the signing of the treaty that allowed the base to be built. I get straight to the point with the next question and ask Richard why he believes it is important and essential that we campaign against Pine Gap. briefly advocate for why you think Pine Gap is something that should be campaigned against or why in the 50 years it's up there as an issue. Um, how would you <laughs> how would you put your pitch? Stepping out of the academic to the oh, activist absolutely. role. Well, I, I, they, <laughs> they should go together. Um, there is no more important American intelligence installation, I think, outside the continental United, outside the United States. 
Um, it is the most important part of the uh, Australian-American alliance, and that's mm-hmm. repeated governments, Labor, Liberal, repeatedly say that's the core of our defence policy. Mm-hmm. That alone means you should be watching very carefully to find out what this does. Moreover, I think that uh, there are now operations at Pine Gap, particularly facility- facilitating uh, drone assassinations, in countries with which we are not at war, if you think that law in war matters, mm. um, then uh, this is something for which we are responsible. Um, not in my name actually means something uh, mm. in, in that regard. I think that it is having a, a, an enormous effect on the Australian military. Um, it's, one th- it's very good in a kind of, if you like, a nationalist sense that now we have full access to what goes on there the other side of it is we're fully responsible for what's done there. And this is a huge military machine. I think there's another reason to think about it. Um, Australia is a weird place, culturally. Um, it's only recently that people have stopped talking about the dead centre and realised that places like Uluru Katajuta are wonderfully alive, inhabited places. I think there's a strange way in which... Many people see Pine Gap as the centre of Australia, you know, those mm. strange domes which look like organic growths. We all know that something goes on there. Mm. There's a lot of fantasies about it. Some of them are pretty silly, um, but some of them are quite uh, 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 are matched by reality. And I think that, in a way, if Uluru is the genuine heart of the country, Pine Gap is the poison heart. Mm. And that alone means you need to think about it. What you do about it, That's I've got mm. views on that. Um, but uh, I think the first thing is to start thinking about it. And I have to say, you made the comment about uh, academics, and um, I despair of my academic colleagues. Um, the work that, uh, that I'm doing at the moment with Desmond Ball, who's been doing this stuff since the late 1970s, we were uh, just you know talking one day about, oh, yeah, well, maybe we could apply for an Australian Research Council grant on this stuff, and uh, but realise it's completely lunacy. Mm. Uh, academics don't do this kind of work if they want a career, quote, mm. with a capital C in an Australian university. There are a lot of uh, sort of self-censorship, uh, either because it might not be a good idea or oh, it's too hard. Mm. Well, you don't need to read our publications, but just look at the <laughs> kind of sources we use. We get Everything's public. Um, mm. And so people censor themselves. People who are in a position who are paid to do research mm. don't do it when they can. Uh, and I, that's, that's something that academics really need to re- reconsider very much. speaking with me, Emma Hockrunch, just outlining the difficulties of academics in speaking out against Pine Gap and the US-Australian alliance, but why it is still very important that they do so. In the next couple of snippets of conversation, he discusses why it's also important for activists and those campaigning against the military base to get informed about what goes on there in order to have nuanced, persuasive as well as morally strong arguments as to why this defence facility 
needs to be shut down. I think it was, this goes back the other way. I think it's really important for activists to actually understand exactly what it does, partly because the truth is pretty bad um, and it's better if you know the full truth. The other reason is if we're loose and um, get the facts wrong in our public debates, then that gives the other side, the people who want mm. to retain the base without thinking about it, uh, very good ammunition. Mm. Uh, so one of the things that, that I'm involved in doing is putting out very accessible versions of this work as well as the, the research work. Mm, that sounds great in, to have accessible resources for this 50 years campaign um, and particularly because... Yeah, as you say, the rhetoric of those in favour and of the alliance and is does very much play into classic kind of fear instincts. And, yeah, I think we need to counter that with truth and morality and facts. Indeed. And the, the truth is pretty bad about Pine Gap. Mm. It's also complicated. There are some things about it that, you know, that I think Australians might value. Um, mm. The, va- the question is, is that vastly outweighed by not only the cost to Australia but the moral responsibility of what we're uh, going along with? Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think we need to, to look at it. Mm. And I've heard that you have a phase-out plan. <laughs> this has been said. Me and Malcolm Turnbull, you yeah. mean. <laughs> um, is it true and can you... Um... Well, it came actually out of work with um, uh, Malcolm Fraser. Um, who you know had been a, a politician and had been a Cold War warrior of the deepest sort, um, and he, after reading what we had to say and talking about it, was very clear that he thought, on balance, it was a great danger to Australia as well as to um, the human interest. Um, but he also recognised that the United States does have some genuine security interests um, that need to be protected, and so you know he talked in terms of say, a five-year phase-out uh, mm-hmm. agreement. And that came before that. There was a, a, a kind of an, a question about whether, can it be reformed? I know it's a silly word to use about something like that, mm-hmm. but in a sense, uh, is it possible for an Australian government, probably of a character we can't recognise yet, to say, well, look, we some things are acceptable that you're doing there, but others are very definitely not, and we want to make both your assurance and uh, a way of checking that this part of that operation of the operations have been closed down. For example, the Australian Navy, you know, really values the thermal imaging data now that's satellites in space that look for the heat signatures of missiles being launched. Mm-hmm. Because in throughout Southeast Asia, uh, East Asia as well, around the world, uh, every navy has now got ship-to-ship missiles, which can do extraordinary damage very quickly. Um, and you need early war- well, some warning of that. Often it's only mm-hmm. twenty seconds. Pine Gap can do that. Um, that's one thing. Is How important is that against everything else? Well, that's something we need to, to work through and weigh up. Could it be done in some other way? I think it can. Mm. So that Fraser's conclusion, I think, was the right one. It's worth talking about what can be done to reform Pine Gap, but 
in these days we don't have Australian governments which are willing to open up their, their mouths in that seat at the table mm. they say they have at Washington and speak with a clear Australian voice. Mm. Uh, they're just not there. Mm. Well, one place to go, I work for Nautilus Institute. Uh, and that has a big website, a public documentation, documentation website called Australian Defence Facilities, as well as another Australian Defence Forces Abroad or Australian Forces Abroad. Um, we've built the Pine Gap site up. It's very, it's very big. Um, it, it's a pointer. It'll give you links to mm. it very quickly. David Rosenberg was a very remarkable uh, American who worked for the National Security Agency at Pine Gap for, I think, about 13 years until he made the mistake of falling in love with an Australian woman and marrying <laughs> her and then lost his security clearance. And he wrote a very interesting book called Inside Pine Gap, which okay. is still around. Mm. Des Ball's introduction to it is very, extremely good. There was also a very good public uh, parliamentary inquiry I mentioned earlier back in 1999. Mm. Uh, the uh, report itself is is interesting and there are very important testimonies by Des Ball and Paul Dibb. More recently, uh, Des Ball, myself and a Canadian colleague, Bill Robinson, have now published, I think, seven papers, uh, together with some other people, uh, on Pine Gap in the last year. Mm. Um, they're available on the Nautilus website. Richard Tanner, Nautilus, Pine Gap, Big Mouth, you'll find me. <laughs> uh, and they're research reports. We make that very clear. These are meant yeah. to be the last word. Um, and then there are a, a number of uh, more accessible things that are around already and many more to come. Mm. Wonderful. Well, thanks very much, Richard, for a comprehensive summary and insight into Pine Gap. And I really liked the imagery of it, um, the comparison of the the poisoned heart of Australia. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure we'll be speaking to you during the year. In the Could Red be Show. with you. Good luck. Bye-bye. Cheers. Thanks, Richard. That was Richard Tanter outlining some resources where you can find out more about what happens at Pine Gap and more broadly Australia's participation with the US in the military-industrial complex. Music you've heard on this week's show is Deadly Dub by Monkey Mark. This is the first show of two about Pine Gap. The second show will feature voices from the protests over the years, both in the desert at the military base and around Australia. So stay tuned for that in two weeks' time. You've been listening to The Radioactive Show, produced in the studios of 3CR Community Radio in Fitzroy, Melbourne. To download or podcast the show, you can find it on www.3cr.org.au under Radioactive Show. To get in contact with us, email us at radioactiveshow at gmail.com. Look forward to sharing some more thoughts and ideas with you next time. For now, goodbye.
Have you heard about 3CR's national programs? Coming at you on community radio stations around Australia, produced in the studios of 3CR Melbourne. Services will be cut, jobs may well be lost and workers' entitlements will be undermined. Their basic human rights are as important as everyone else. Over 200 million years, individual species have evolved. I mean, birds were once dinosaurs. Anything nasty online seems to be targeted against women. Muckety is a bad deal, but muckety is absolutely not a done deal. You're listening to Women on the Line. Welcome again to Lost in Science. And welcome to another edition of the Radioactive Show. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Hello and welcome to Accent of Women. Anarchist Wall this week. Listen to Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. You are listening to Let the Bands Play. Tune in to Stick Together, worker stories and union news. Grassroots Voices broadcast weekly on the Community Radio Network. Genocide here is a lot more sneaky than it is in Rwanda or other places around the world. It's one thing white fellas learnt in the last 200 years to be very sneaky about their genocide. You look at the 38 nations that were here before white settlement and then you count up the numbers that are still surviving, still out there doing their business on their country. Well, there's only 25 left, so what happened to the other 13? Let's talk about the Black GST. Genocide to be stopped, sovereignty acknowledged and treaties made. Tune into Fire First every Wednesday from 11am till 12 midday on 3CR with Robbie Thorpe.